The opinions expressed on That's a Foul do not reflect the view of any organization to which the host or guest are affiliated or employed. Paul Splits in studio today. Faith, friendships, and water polo. Let's do it. Sports are an integral part of my life, specifically officiating. I've met a lot of interesting people on deck and on the sidelines. From referees to evaluators, coaches to administrators, and players to fans, each one has a story to tell, and that's a foul, is the place to tell them. Each episode, we'll dive into personal and professional lives to see how we can all be a little better tomorrow. I'm Chad Packer, and this is That's a Foul. Aw yeah, here we go. I am stoked to have my really, really good friend Paul Split in studio. When I first kicked the tires on this podcast, Paul helped me set up the website. He gave me some feedback on what would be helpful to hear, and he continues to be an avid listener. So Paul came over to the house the day before Thanksgiving, and we talked for quite a while. I'm going to break this one up into two episodes with this first episode celebrating his growth as a person and the last 25 years with water polo in his life. Let's get going in quarter one. We're going to press record. Mm-hmm. and I love that you also edit too, which is cool. Well, editing's part of the process. Part of the process. Up, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How long have we been talking about you coming here? Months. Early on. Months. A uh, long time. I think I didn't even before you got this thing off the ground. So I, I would say it's been a long time coming. I wonder if my microphone's getting my chair squeaking. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fun sound, though. Yeah. You helped me get the the website off and running. That was a fun process, though, too, trying to get the... I loved seeing the the vision of this come together and and seeing, like, all the pieces. And you're trying to work through all the kinks with it. And uh, I've been really looking forward to coming over here for a long time. So, like, from the time that you got this thing going, I was like, man, that sounds really cool. I can't wait to, to sit down. Classic pandemic hits, right? And then everything gets all goofy. I'm just glad we were able to, to get a chance to, to get in studio. Indeed. It, it's just a little cleaner. <laughs> it's a little more fun face-to-face. I mean, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, You've yeah, got yeah. that Yeti mic there that we could have done something. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's always, it's always fun to... It's also like, you know, when if, if you're doing it over the internet, then you're like, I don't know if I go out, you don't know if you right. go out, and then like, there was like the coolest question that you've ever asked, and I'll say, what? What was that? And it's just, yeah. this is, this, the in-person makes it so much easier. Yeah, you definitely lose the moment, as yeah. it were. It is funny how, you know, it, you, you were super helpful in getting that website going on Squarespace, which is really more of a landing spot, Squarespace. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. We might pay money. Shameless so plug. Am I, am I the sponsor of Squarespace? You could be. <laughs> I think you missed opportunity. Damn it. Once again. <laughs> um, but you were super helpful in having me, you know, you, you would bounce things off or whatever. You're, you're, I know you're, you, you have a lot of passions. I, I enjoy doing a lot of different things. <laughs> you do. You do. You do a lot of different things well. I, must I appreciate say. that. It's very kind. It was fun. Uh, you getting, as, as you were getting it going, I like to, uh, I like to try to think, hey, this is where this person's been. Have you considered something like completely out of that box? And yeah. and try to get you to, to think like, hey, oh, maybe maybe I didn't analyze it from that angle. I, sure. I, I think it's really fun to be able to do that. I also like receiving those types of things sure. too. Like if you can provide that, man, I'm stuck in this. I can only see this thing here. 
Yeah. So. Yeah, I think one of the, you know, it's, it's I might even mention this in my email. It's like, well, we'll, we'll see wherever this goes. It's, yeah. it's almost like, you know, you're kind of hiking down this trail that you've maybe traversed before, but maybe you haven't quite been this far, or maybe it's just a different day, or maybe it's a different season, and all of a sudden all these spur trails start to appear, and you think, I'm going to start wandering down that one. And if you get a little bit down and you're like, yeah, this isn't going where I thought, you just kind of cut back and get back onto the main trail, you know? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great analogy of it. <laughs> and I, I would really equate it to like, it's a, just a different day on a similar trail. Because <laughs> you're just hiking and, and you don't know where it's going to necessarily lead you. I don't need a map for this. I'm just trying to, I want to see where this goes. And that's what's really, that's honestly really what's fun about it. Like you don't know, you don't necessarily know what's going to be around that next corner. And then you get to take it in and say, okay, now what? Now do I want to go that way? Do you want to go over here? Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm going to turn around and go back. Like this was, that's right. <laughs> that's a bear trap. I don't want to go there. <laughs> I'm chuckling because you are fond of uh, analogies as well. We had a like a 30-minute conversation about water polo tournaments, but we called them pizzas. You remember we were talking about, well, we don't. We just don't want, you know, Papa John's and Domino's. Like, we want the specialty ones, like Big Dog and Fratelli's. And, oh, man, if we could just get some Fratelli's right now, though. And we, we were talking, but we were talking about water polo. Yeah. Like, water polo teams. <laughs> the water polo teams were the pizza tournament, which was which was kind of funny. At, at, honestly, that's one of the fun things about our relationship is that you, we can take an analogy. I don't need to paint the picture for you. I can say, here's the analogy. I'm going to go down with it. And you're able to pick up on it. And we're able to play off each other on that. that that's pretty fun. It is. It is. You know, there, there's sometimes, I don't know if you ever have it, but you know, you're, you're just, you're just nailing this analogy and the person next to you is going, how, how are we going to get pizzas to come to a term? And I understand you're going, shit, never mind. Never mind. Just forget about it. Let's just, just order the pizza and we'll call it a day. We'll just call it a day. You know, I'm not even hungry. If if that's all it takes. Okay. (laughs) Okay. It's exhausting sometimes yeah but it is uh you know again we're going back to the origins of this you know it was really gonna be heavy water polo and there are some folks with whom i speak where we we kind of focus more on water polo but um i would say this has turned more into just a snapshot of that person at that point in their life Mm. you know you and i can you got you got some some things coming here uh down the road which i want to get into that paul on November 25th, 2020, a day after my birthday, by the way. Happy belated. Uh, thank you very much. Is going to be significantly different than Paul, November 25th, 2021. And then yeah. when you expand that out 18 years, you're going to be even like I'm different now than I was last year. Yeah. You know, so. And, and I think that's that's the hope, though, too, right? We don't want to stay stagnant in, sure. in, in who we are. And I think that's one of the fun things is being honestly. So I've listened to every single one of the podcasts and I've loved that like you can even hear episode to episode it kind of evolving into sure. it, it, its thing where it's not necessarily water polo specific which is really cool because in the water polo world i think having more of these types of things is really good but you've been diving deeper into like what's philosophy where are you coming sure. from what do you think about this how did that moment impact the next thing i i love where those conversations go I, it's it's truly been fascinating just as a fan well i, I appreciate that and i now, I'm not directing this towards an audience um, at all. I had a, I don't remember who I was talking to yesterday. Maybe, I think it might have been Heather. She said, how many, do you know how many people are listening? And I said, yeah, I really honestly don't want to know. Because yeah. if it's just six, that might defeat me a little bit. And if it's 600, that might overwhelm me a little bit. 
So as long as the person with whom I spoke listens and maybe passes it on to one or two other people just to listen to their story, that might grab somebody else to listen to just one story. And if you listen to, you know, there, there are some, there's some pretty deep episodes, you know, going down here, but everyone we speak with on our show kind of has a, has that story and they might just have some sort of nugget. And quite honestly, I think it'd be really interesting to listen to somebody who has worked in widgets their entire life. Cause I have no idea what it's like to work in widgets or mm. a person who raised XYZ kids and had these struggles helps give me uh, perspective because let's face it, it really is all about perspective. We were, we were just talking about money, you know, and to some people a hundred dollar fine is, yeah, I got a couple of those in my pocket and some people a hundred dollar fine is, we might go without food for the next week. Yeah. Um, perspective a, matters, right? Yeah. Like that, like getting getting the perspective of things. And it's been neat, like hearing, one of the coolest conversations was uh, when you had Mr. Marin on. Like, Ugh. I, I could I could sit back and listen to a thousand of those episodes. Like hearing, not just not just his stories and, and the power behind it, but like just hearing him talk, I'm like, dude, dude gets it. Dude's a man, love that guy. Yeah. But like, there's power in that. And it's mm-hmm. not, I mean, like that that's one specific example, but I think there's a lot of power. I've said it for a long time is that your story has power in it. Mm. Own your story. Mm. Whatever that story is, own it and and embrace it. And if you run from your story, well, you were given your story and you were you were given this opportunity to flex on what your story is. And if you embrace it, you can do some really special and powerful things. If you run from it, then you've taken this thing that could have been really special and you let it wither away and die. And now that becomes your story is like letting this thing wither. Now you can take that and and redeem it, not the point. But I really believe everybody's given a story. And if you embrace what that story is and you share it and you build into others through your story, there's so much power in that. And I've had a chance to, I've got a specific example of that was, uh, I had a chance to go to Africa in 2008 and 2010. And in 2008, I had this, I was part of this outreach group and it was weird because they wanted everybody in the group to, to do this thing called casting the net. I didn't like it. I was like, man, that's not me. Like this is inorganically not who I am. Mm. But they, they said, Paul, we want you to do it. Paul, we want you to do it. Paul, we want you to do it. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do this because I don't agree with it. Mm. But then like I felt it on my heart. I just really felt, uh, so like my relationship with Christ is really important to me. And I really felt God saying in my heart, like, Paul, I didn't call you to do it. Everybody do it, do it your way. Mm. Like share your story, your way. Don't worry about anything else. So I did. So I shared my story and I just, I went on like this, these tangents that nobody else did. But through that, I shared my story, my experience and the next day, I walked away from that. I didn't know one thing or the other from it. The next day, one of the kids from that school came up, walked, you know, a 30-minute walk across the city. City. Uh, perspective. Perspective, right? Like, uh, it's dirt dirt roads, just he's barefoot. He walked 30 minutes across that to come and find me to say, thank you for sharing your story. It changed my life. Hmm. And I went, and in that moment, like, what, I'm... It's 2008, I'm 27 years old, and some, some 16-year-old kid said, your story changed my life. What? Wow. And it, 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 it brought a lot of 
perspective like yeah we've all got this story it that that can happen to anybody anytime if mm-hmm. you embrace what your story is and it's different for everybody mm-hmm. and and it can change just like you said like a year from now your story could be different well i sure hope it, it it's growing <laughs> right i hope i hope i'm not telling the same story for the next 30 years sure. i want to continue to grow in that hmm. it's funny you say that because i think tragically there's there's one person I have in mind, um, guy I used to work with who was just busting his tail for a long time, and he got he got hooked on drugs, mm. and I don't know where he is anymore. Mm. And I just think how tragic it is that a story can be um, growing and growing and growing, and then unfortunately, mm. next year it is sideways. Could be health, could be a loss of a job, could be addiction, could be whatever. But to your point, though, Paul, I'm not, I'm not all disagreeing. I just need to be better tomorrow than I would say. I think it might be some at the end of the show where it talks about, or maybe at the beginning of the show where it talks about just you know sharing something that helps us be a little bit better yeah. tomorrow than we are today. Yeah, and and I I find too like in those dark moments there's opportunity for redemption, mm. right? Like you can take something that's gone twisted and redeem it. And there's power in that. And then that redemption, because like we're all, we're all we're we're all dealing with our brokenness. We all have our baggage. We all have this. But if you if you can take your damage and your dark, and then embrace the light, and you can redeem that story, that thou provides hope for somebody else. And I think hope is one of the most powerful things that you can give somebody. If you are without hope, man, that's that's hard. That's a really dark time. But if you can take those those dark, twisted moments of whatever it is, whether you've you've got an addiction or you had a health situation, whatever that is, it can always be redeemed. And with that, you find hope and encouragement. And that's where that's where like really powerful things happen. Mm-hmm. Is that through through that because you you've been able to go from one end to the other and like you think about like a wrecking ball with momentum. If you've gone back this far, well, what are you going to be able to do the other way, right? If you've been able to, to, if you've been able to come from such a far <laughs> oh, distance back, gold. you're going to be able to do a lot of. I mean, I like to say that we're going to do a lot of damage going that way, and that's it's the good kind of damage, right? That's but so if like, hey, man, I haven't I haven't really felt a whole lot. It's hard. It's really hard. Can you do that? Sure, but you're missing something innate that 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 person has that they can swing that forward. Wow. Huh, I like that analogy. I'm trying to think of a giant wrecking ball. I'm trying not to think of Miley Cyrus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she is yucky. She does come in like a wrecking ball. She There's no is, doubt. She is yucky. Um, <laughs> if I think about how how you have to swing that wrecking ball in the positive direction to create that, I think Newton would call it potential energy. I think that that's the potential, and, and then, then that's the as kinetic it swings back. You're right. So it creates potential energy, and as it starts going towards that destruction side yeah it hits the wall metaphorically and not mm. metaphorically literally and then it stops and things fall apart and you have to consciously swing that crane to get the ball going back to the yeah. positive side knowing full well that it's going to come back yeah and hit into something now i suppose if we were to take the inverse of that Maybe that negative energy is where it swings to the left and doesn't hit anything and 
can see my hand going out here to my left. You're right. Yeah. And as it swings There's back. There's a lot of really good visuals <laughs> that we're missing from here. It, uh, <laughs> it swings in and it does damage to that thing that needs to be destroyed. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes it's got to swing back in the negative direction for you to recognize. I got to get that sucker going again. So maybe the breaking down of the building could be unintended damage. But more likely, yeah, it's, yeah. it's intended to be yeah. something that needs to be torn down, which could be, again, an addiction. It could be yeah. uh, a relationship that's falling apart. It could be the end of something. It could be whatever. So Yeah. Well, like, think about it. If you, if you were dealing with some sort of relationship issue and you had a friend giving you advice that has never experienced any of that, and you've got a friend giving you advice that's living through it, has gone through it, and has experienced so much of that, you know, which one packs a stronger punch to you, right? Mm. Like, not that that friend that that didn't go through it is giving bad advice, but the other person lived through it, and like you're, go it's going to resonate deeper, just naturally. Wow! And it's not to say that that other person can't influence or impact, sure. but that dude shared his story with you, and there's yeah. power in that. Yeah. There's so much power in that. Yeah. And that's yeah. where, like, there's now redemption to that. Now there's hope. Sure. And, you know, like, maybe, maybe in that moment you can't feel it, but that's, that's what hope does. Like, it just it continues to grow, and then you're like, oh, my gosh. So many amazing things have happened and through that. Mm -hmm. hmm. How did you develop such a strong relationship with, with Christ? Has this been something that's been in your life your entire... Yeah, so I'm a preacher's kid. Okay. And I spent about a decade as an atheist. So classic preacher's kid, wow. you're either going to be like, rah-rah, <laughs> Jesus, or... <laughs> Man, that thing is a bunch of just hullabaloo. And I was the latter, not the former. <laughs> yeah. And actually, to be honest, I had a really toxic relationship with my dad. And mm. so there was a there was a lot of you know, we didn't we did not have a healthy relationship as I grew up. And I would say by the time I got to be a freshman in high school, I didn't want anything to do with him. Mm. And I think he probably felt the same. Uh maybe maybe not like at his core, maybe he wanted it to be different, but he was bad. And so we separated at that point, like just, we didn't, we didn't have a relationship. And I would say with that, I also struggled with my relationship with anything. So mm -hmm. I would like turn into an atheist for a long time. So like, you got a couple of these different layers of that, like with my father, you got a heavenly father. So you can, there's some, is that allegory? It could or be. I don't know. I was thinking of Star Wars. But... <laughs> so you've got those different layers to it. And then. Allegory. As you kind of fast forward a little bit, I, I was involved in a uh, car accident in on December 19th of 2002 that should have killed me. Like I legit should have died. I, I didn't know that. I had a van and my buddy ran a red light on accident, wasn't paying attention. And he ran a red light down in Clifton and a van came through and hit my door going about 40 miles an hour. A green Ford Aerostar hit my door at 40 miles an hour. And nothing happened. Like I walked out, I had a, I had a, a little cut on my finger. Was it? Wow. And it, it, I mean, it, it hit us from. We were on the right lane, and we ended up on the sidewalk in the left lane. Oh no! It, it destroyed that car, and it knocked the door in at least two feet. <laughs> Got pictures of it. Like you look at it and go, like people survive that? Yeah. Not only we didn't, we were fine. Oh and God. so like that moment wrecked me because I was like, how did I, how did I survive this? Mm. And uh, it began me questioning this pathway. Like, I don't want to die not knowing what I believe. Because I said, like, I don't even know what I believe anymore. I don't know if there's a God. I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't know any of this at this point in my life. 
And so I spent the next couple of years just like diving into different religions and beliefs. I went into a Bible study and uh, for a long time. So like, uh, you know, the story of the, of, of Paul, who was Saul in the Bible. Saul was persecuting and just really a bad dude for people that love Jesus. Like if you were a Christian, Saul was there to kill you. And he was there to break you down and point out why you're wrong. God then blinds him. He ends up in a jail, changes his name to Paul, and he becomes an apostle. And he wrote a lot uh, for Jesus at that point. I'm taking a really big story, making it really small. There. We got all time I know, in the world. <laughs> but you take that, and it's very similar to what I was going through. So sure. I, I had friends that were Christian, and I would just break them down. Here's why you're wrong. Wow. My wife likes to say now that like, it's a good thing you weren't a lawyer. It's a good thing you don't like to read a whole lot because if you were a lawyer, you would like, you'd be fun in the courtroom. Um, <laughs> I, uh, spoiler, I don't like to read a whole lot. So yeah, it, it makes that part really easy. But I would do that all the time with any one of my friends. If they, if they were into that, I would just break them down. And here's why you're wrong. And it felt good. Like I felt a lot of joy and pride in being able to break somebody down. And that's mm. not necessarily a good thing, right? But through that experience of being able to question, I, I met a, a dude, Ken Shellhouse, shout out to him, who ran a Bible study and I would, I would just try to blast at him. And he responded with love every time. I would say, I got a question about this and here's why you're wrong. He's like, okay, here you go. And, and here's some context behind it. He didn't respond with any type of anger. He's just always responding with love. And it, it wrecked me because I, I wasn't used to having that response. My response was normally uh, me me winning that argument and breaking them down. Sure. And he was like, it's okay, man. You just be you. I'm going to love on you. And it's just over and over. And it it really messed with you. Uh, it really messed with you. It messed with me. And uh, June 3rd, 2004, so 6-3-0-4, I woke up with like excruciating pain in my ribs. I, I'm to the point like when I'm 23 years old and I'm uh, almost in tears. Like my, my, my side hurts and like I, I'm rolling around. I'm, I'm like lying on the bathroom floor and, and I was just, so I've been struggling at this point with this whole concept of who God is, who Jesus is. And I just said, okay, God, you know, if you're real, I need you to take this pain, make it go away. Nothing happened. And I realized in that moment, like I've been really struggling with this concept of Jesus, the father, right? Like uh, my, my, my earthly father and uh, Jesus Christ, I've been really struggling with this concept. And I said, okay, uh, it's not about God because I, I think I believe in a God. It's just Jesus person I don't believe in. And I said, all right, Jesus, if you're real, I need you to take this pain, make it go away because I can't handle it. And it was gone. Wow. And in that moment, like I, I've experienced some miracles in my life and that one was like, boom, instant. And I stood up and I went, I didn't, I didn't close my mouth for the entirety of that day. Like I just stood there just like, what just happened? I had, I lifeguarded. I had the whistle, like the whistle kept falling out of my mouth that day. Cause I was just in awe. Like what happened? And then that night, uh, it, it, of, uh, about June 4th at one in the morning, I'm just laying there in bed and I just prayed that, uh, I, that Jesus became my Lord and Savior. So mm. I accepted in my life. And like really at that moment, everything changed. So if we go back to my relationship with my dad, through that process, I, I actually wrote him a letter and said, you know, I, I don't know 
how that we could change anything in the past. I don't know how any of that changes. And I don't care about the past. I care about today and where, where we go tomorrow. And I want you to know that I forgive you. I forgive you for being a deadbeat in my life. And, and I don't care about that anymore. I want to start something fresh. And so from that moment, like you take this thing that's like super toxic and you just give it no more power and you wash it away. And he, he cried when he read that and he said, I needed this. This is what I needed. I didn't know how to relate to you. I needed you to forgive me because I didn't know how to do that. From that moment, we've developed a really good relationship. So context, my dad didn't come to anything. I, I played water polo, played tennis, played soccer. I played a ton of sports growing up. And from the time I was in junior high on, he didn't see me do any of those things, not once. And he actually made it his point to like not even be there as growing up. Mm. Now we go through that experience of, you know, forgiveness, new relationship, healing, healthy. And you go forward. Uh, he's actually changed his schedule to be there in my life. Ugh. Right? So like 2006, I'm, I, this is like two years later, 2006, I'm coaching at Milford and we make a state championship game. He's not even living in the state. He goes out of his way. He's like, you know what? You're doing this thing that's really important. I want to be there to support you. He shows up. We win a state championship, and he's hosting the trophy with me. Wow. Like, that, that's a really cool thing. And that, from then till now, like, we've, we've been able to do so many really cool things, father, son. And I, I don't know that we get what we have today without going through the garbage that we had. We had that garbage and we're able sure. to, what we are able to do today is, I think it's directly related to that uh, because we've been able to go through it together. Not that anybody's like, oh yeah, I'm going through this really terrible thing with my dad, this is great. Nobody <laughs> celebrates that in the moment, it sucks. But when you're able to get through that and and grow from it together, it's really, really cool. I got to go to uh, one of his meetings uh, at, at his at his church group, and he was talking to everybody. And I, I'd written him another letter, just saying, you know, I'm I'm really thankful that our path wasn't the smoothest, because it's made what we have today, what it is. And I don't know, I I, I can't describe what it would be like one way or the other if if it was a healthy relationship going forward, what it would look like. I don't know that, but I know that through that negative, we have this thing that's become really special and powerful. And I shared that with him. And um, there was other people in the room that they like, man, that, that story hmm. really impacted me. And once again, it goes back to that concept of if you share your story, powerful things are going to happen. And, and it should be dynamic story. It shouldn't be a static thing. Sure. So like I'm sharing these moments that happened a long time ago and how they've had these impacts. And, and I'm excited to, to continue to see like how these moments as I go forward, the story is still being written like that. The ink is not even dry on the, on the current page I'm on. Like that story is still being written. Yeah. Your story is still being, every, like we are all still, we are still super deep in all of that. And how do you embrace it? How do you grow from that? But then more importantly, how do you then share that story with others? Hmm. Cause I don't think that your story should be a secret. I don't. I, I think that that's a that's detrimental to growth. That's not a that's not a healthy thing. Now, it's not necessarily that you need to hold up a flag and have a banner in the front. Here's my story. I don't think it needs to necessarily always be that. Sure. But I I think that there are people. Everybody's got people in their life that need to hear their story, 
And if you keep that to you, then then you're limiting others' growth. And that's hmm. how, like how, we are not here for ourselves. We're here to, for each other. So we should be here to build into each other. And if I don't share my story with those people, that's really selfish. Yes. And I also need to hear other people's story. I need to receive it. It can't just be me sending. I also need to need to receive. So somebody's out there going to share stories with me and I'm going to be like, holy shit, man, that wrecked me. Why did that wreck me? Why does that mess me? Oh, because your story has power impacting me. That's really important. I love listening to like good leadership books and stories. I love leadership books that have stories in there, not just like talking about a specific concept. When yeah. you've got a story in there, yeah. here's what happened. I, and fiction's fun, right? But like having <laughs> an actual true story of this person going through this event and how those concepts applied to growth. Ah, that's really cool. I know I said I don't like to read. I, I do the audiobooks of it, right? But sure. like if, if there's a good, especially if the, uh, the narrator's a good narrator. But those types of things, I get so hyped over that. Hmm. In quarter two, we talk a lot about Paul's history with water polo. From his time as a freshman at Milford High School, to his coaching and refereeing days, to where he is now. So how does that transition into coaching? Like, let's let's think a little bit about where you were in. It's I'm amazed that you're dropping these dates on this day. There was this wreck on June third, two thousand three. Was it four? Oh, six four oh four. Six four oh four. But you 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 have these you have these dates in there, and you know one of the concepts. It's my OCD. Our, what's that? It's my OCD. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that we we try and talk about on here is how does how how do your life lessons apply to coaching? And I'm I'm fascinated by your coaching. And here we go down a spur trail, right? We could have gone left. Now we're gonna go right. How does how have you grown as a coach when you think about all of the things that go into coaching? There are the X's and O's of which you have clearly grown. That's an intentional knowledge base growth. But then this other thing where I mean we just even had a thing the other day when you know I was down helping you guys out and the way you approached the one young man in 2020 might be different than how you approached him when you first started coaching. So yeah. give us a little background on how you started coaching, who your major influences were. Just tell tell us your story yeah, about yeah, yeah. coaching. That could be, again, I, I would love to hear X's and O's because I think I think it should be celebrated when, when people are intentional about improving X's and O's or whistling X's and O's or playing X's and O's. Yeah. But I also want to celebrate um, how you've grown leadership-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the fun things is, uh, yeah, I started, in, started water polo in physical education class in high school at Milford, 95. It was the, the winter of 95 going into 96. I only, I only know this because like my very first water polo shirt said spring 96 water polo. Like that's the only reason why I remember that one. But in that class, uh, I was playing goalie and uh, I was sitting on the cage. I didn't know any of the rules of it. And Gary Tamaris was the phys ed teacher. And he is just like, it's just a PE class, right? So he's just go play. But I'm ta- I had a couple friends that played water polo. I was like, oh, man, I'm blocking. I was more like, oh, guys, I'm blocking all these shots. You know, <laughs> shaggy. Yeah, is a is a wonderful freshman year, you know, going through puberty, right? So I told my friends like, oh, I'm I'm doing really well, I'm blocking all these shots. So they asked me to come out for the water polo team in the spring, and Gary 
at Milford at that time ran this thing where the high school season's in the fall, but in the spring he does this feeder program to get anybody. Sure. And I did it. My team won the spring league championship. I led the league in blocks as this freshman. Like here's this, I mean, I was probably five feet tall at the time, freshman that, that led the league in blocks and, and we won a championship. So they then talked me into playing. Uh, and I, I played in the high school season and, you know, like I, where was I school wise? Oh, my first day in practice, I was a goalie and we had the weighted belts on and I put the weighted belt on. I'm on the bottom of the pool trying to take the weighted belt off. I get to the top. And I'm like, I, uh, maybe I'd made the wrong decision, but my teammates were like, you drop the weight belt. You got to go get it. And so like, okay, I basically got to go pick up the weight belt. And then, uh, I just stuck with it. It was fun. I played through high school and then right out of high school, um, you know, I, I, I've made the comment before. My playing days are nothing really special to write about. I was never a, a really good water polo player, but I, l- I really loved the sport and I loved what it was able to do in this time of my life. So we talked a little bit about like those turmoils in my relationship. I was I was really struggling as just a human being at that time in the late 90s. My parents got divorced. We just moved. Like My life is kind of chaos and I found stability in water mm. polo and I mm. found... Sure. Uh, you know, I, I had this role model, Gary Tamaris. I cannot say enough positives about Gary Tamaris because he gave me an opportunity as a player. He believed in me and gave me an opportunity to shine. And I never wanted to let him down, mostly because I was afraid that he would snap me in half. <laughs> you know, like, I, <laughs> a high school dude. kid, he, he he's is. an intimidating figure, right? Yes. And, and so, like... I never wanted to let him down because I, partially just a fear, but also he believed in me and mm, I didn't want to let wow. somebody down that believed in me, especially like a, a male role model in my life at that mm-hmm. time. That, Preach. So then fast forward, I graduate and like a year or two later, I go back and I say, Gary, uh, do you need any help with coaching? I'd love to help out. And he made the comment, like his assistant coach at the time was going through some health concerns, like some serious ones, like being in the hospital for a long time. So he needed an assistant. And sure enough, I, I helped out and and I, I got plugged in that point. So I think it's 2001 was my first year of coaching and maybe it was 2002. I'm usually really good with dates, but I always get I always get that one confused. It's hard because it's fall. It's fall, right? It's so a, it's the 02 graduates play in 01. Yeah. Which I, I always have a hard time with that myself. I, th- I think Grace, it was 02. I think it was the year of 02. I'm pretty okay. sure. So I start coaching that year and you know, I'm, I'm, if it's 2002, I'm 21. I don't know shit, man. I'm an idiot, right? Like all, I don't know anything about water polo comparatively now, like you, you're, you, but you don't know that you don't know that. Well, and so like as a 21 year old, you don't know that you're an idiot. You don't know that you are just <laughs> clueless about this thing. You just, oh, I've got high energy. I'm really excited. You about were, this. you were and, high energy. And I'll, I'll tell you yes. what. I don't know anybody that's been more high energy than 21-year-old Paul on a pool deck, right? <laughs> uh, but I didn't know anything about like tactics. I didn't know anything about like building relationships. I just knew you had to try really hard. Wow. And so like that's okay. all I told the kids. Like, man, every time we had a huddle, yeah, we just got to try really hard. I, don't, I, I didn't tell them like a tactic or like you need to move your elbow here or adjust. Your, I didn't say any of that. I just always talked. You got to give it your best. And... You know, that worked for a while, right? And uh, as you continue to grow, like I said, Gary gave me that opportunity to be a coach, but he, he gave me the opportunity to be an assistant coach. Sure. And as an assistant coach, 
there's a couple really cool things that happen with it. One is this, you have to do all the grunt work. You gotta mm. do a lot of just like dirty work out there. I, I was the one that had to do the more traveling. I had to do, um, I did do a lot of the, the behind the scenes stuff that you don't really get credit for. Now, Gary did a ton of work in terms of like practice planning and scheduling. He did all of that. But uh, as an assistant coach, you don't really get any credit for anything. However, you don't have to do the budget as an assistant coach. You don't have to do some of, some of those heavier things. And you can fail without repercussion at that point. Hmm. I could mess up as an assistant coach and it wasn't a big deal. I could show up at a practice and not say the, the right thing, if you will, and it was fine. Huh. And because it wasn't my name on the program. Sure. Uh, it's, yeah. So like that gave me an opportunity to, to, to fail. And I think there's, there's a lot of really good things that happen because you find out, oh, that, that doesn't work. Don't do that again. Hey, that doesn't work. And eventually you get to this point, you're like, hey, these are things you shouldn't do. And now you're left with, okay, great. I'm going to keep doing these things over here. That's really helpful. So I really think I learned a lot as a coach from being an assistant under Gary. And I was an assistant for him for about 10 years. And most people aren't an assistant. Most people go like, hey, I'm just going to, I want to be a head coach right away. But I had to cut my teeth for a long time sure. as, as an assistant. And it got to the point where I even felt like, man, I, I think I should be a head coach for a couple years. And, and maybe I was ready, maybe I wasn't, but I was still an assistant. And, and that part, uh, if I could impart advice onto anybody, it's embrace being an assistant. Embrace mm -hmm. that role of what does it look like to be the assistant coach in a program? Because there's a lot of opportunities to grow there. And, you know, from that aspect, it, it allowed me, you know, like I said, the freedom to fail. But then you kind of fast forward a little bit from the beginning of those things. And I started a water polo club in 2010. So 2002, I'm starting a coach. 2010, I've started a, a club. And at that time, it, it's not the first club in Ohio, but it was the only club in Ohio at that time. And that's a shameless plug for River City water polo. Uh, that's it, man. Man, I'll tell you what, River City was the best. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we could have a whole separate podcast about how fun River was, City was, right? It was a good time. It was a good time in my life, yeah, for sure. Which uh, is funny because it was one of the crappiest times in my life, right? But it was, it, isn't, isn't that the way of it? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2010. So, 2010, I started a club with uh, my friend Nick Helwig, and we we were kind of pioneers at that time, yeah, trying to figure out yes. this landscape in Ohio of there's yes. literally no clubs here, right? And so, uh, we, we started this program the very first summer we did it, 2010, we had 30 kids, 15 boys, 15 girls. We practiced a couple nights a week at Montgomery Swim and Tennis Club, rest in peace. That place no longer exists. That place was amazing. They had two pools there. You remember yeah. that place? Oh, I, I was, Sullivan was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It had that eight lane all deep up top and that had the diving well down below. It was a great facility. We could run all kinds of stuff yeah, there. Yeah. But like you think about 30 kids, 15 boys, 15 girls. It's really not a lot. But we did that for a couple summers. And then it just just grew and exploded. And then as the years go by, it uh, it turns into multiple teams. So we've got you know, Moose in Cincinnati. Then there's the C-Bus program. Then you've got a Black Swamp. And it just continues to grow in our, in our whole state. And, and I think through having more opportunities, it gave me the opportunity to grow as a coach there too, because you're coaching more, you're doing more things. It's a bit higher of a level. It forces you to, to stretch and grow. And through that process, uh, 
I got asked to be an ODP coach. Mm-hmm. Which is USA Water Polo. USA Water Polo, yeah. yeah. So the Olympic Development Program, I got to be a zone coach and started at the youngest age group. So I had, at that time, it was eighth grade, 10th grade, and 12th grade? I don't know if it was they did 12th. Anyway, the point is, I was with the eighth grade group, and I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know what I was doing at that time. At that time, I was, once again, like I felt like the dumbest coach in the room. And I love the moment when I realized, man, I, I'm the dumbest coach in here. Yeah. Because that's like, not that I want to <laughs> always be the dumbest coach, but I love the moment when you realize everybody in here is really good at what they do. And I can learn from everybody. And so, you know, I, I got an opportunity right away, em, embrace being an assistant. And then later on, I got to embrace this role of, of this mentorship where I've got this room full of coaches where they're all willing to help out. And so I could lean on them and ask questions. And then at this point, I'm starting to understand technical side of water polo, elbow placement and hip placement. And the tactical side of like, where does this, if this X goes there, where does that O need sure, to go? Sure. And it really helped grow my, my ability as a coach tactically, technically. But none of those things were like the relational side. I think all those things came out. In, in, in different avenues. But if we talk about like, there's, there's I think, a few different ways of, of leadership. You asked the question, like, how does this affect my leadership? How do I grow as a coach? And, you know, from a tactical and technical standpoint, that happened when I got to ODP. When I, when I started to understand what water polo looked like outside of Ohio. Sure. Travel to Illinois, travel to Michigan, travel to Pennsylvania. And then traveling... I. I'll never forget the very first national team selection camp I went to. I went out to uh, Santa Margarita High School in Southern California, and it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event. And I got delayed on my flight. I got there late, so the first practice started, and I was 30 minutes late to it. And I was already the dumbest coach there on deck. I would probably even say the athletes were knew more about water polo than I did. <laughs> but this is, so this is selecting the national team for the 14 and unders. And I get out there and I said, oh my God, like these kids are, these 14 year olds are really, really good. Yeah. Like. This is guys. This is boy, yeah. Uh, boys 14 and under. And watching them play, I, I even made the comment uh, to one of my friends. I said, if we did an A, a B, and a C team here, the C team here would win a state championship in Ohio. Like just the the level, and so like that, that started to really stretch me. And then Brian Linton mm-hmm. gave me that opportunity. He really built into me, and and he's been a massive influence in terms of helping me grow. And I've, I could go on and on about how great he's been. But that opportunity of coaching ODP, going at the NTSCs, started to 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 change my approach with tactics and technique. And how do we get how do we get in this alignment? If that's the end goal, how do I then reverse plan and okay, where are we here in Ohio? And how do we scaffold to get to that point of being at that level? And then wrestling with the concept of we will never get to that level. That's not possible. That's not a realistic goal. So it's a realistic goal. Like where how far back from the national level can we reasonably attain on a regular basis? And then plan tactics and techniques that go according to that so from that aspect of growing as a coach you know seeking out different mentors and i i've had so many friends through odp that have been amazing mentors with my technical and tactical growth and it i i, I don't have enough time to go into like all the people and i sure. i would love to i don't want to start naming names and then leave people right, out of course but, of course 
but there's been so many from from all over and it, it's fascinating to see outside of like you get outside of this ohio bubble and and you see how different areas are operating how does the midwest operate how does the northeast how does the southeast what matters to them tactically and technically and there's all these variations with it and not that you oh we have to do exactly what they're doing there or, or here or there how can we take different pieces and apply it to what we're doing and and continue to grow and that's been a that's been a really fun challenge uh, and then I would also say too, uh, growing as a coach, one of the best things I did was officiate. So I took a couple of years off. Like your very first year, of, not sure. first year, your second stint in officiating. Sure, yeah, yeah, I remember this. Uh, <laughs> we we were sitting together at. I, I remember we, we were at Sycamore for the very first oh, tournament, it's the worst. and it's we the just worst. had butterflies and we were oh. nervous as crap, man. <laughs> but officiating gave me a total different side of of the coin to think about with how do you grow as a water polo player. Because, you know, the, you always think there's like this tension between coaches and officials. And to some extent, you know, that there's, there is that, but it shouldn't be there. And, and if you have an understanding of, of where each one's coming from, it allows you to come together. And being an official allowed me to understand why is that whistle being blown there? And then how as a coach do I work with that? It was great. It was hard. Being, being an official was really, really hard. And I, I did it for two years and I hated it, man. I tell you what, I hated being an official because it just, it was stressful. It was really stressful for me because it was, my brain was like, I'm thinking as a coach as opposed to whistling as, a, as a, an official. So like I'd see a play happen, like, man, that guy shouldn't have done that. Oh, I'm supposed to blow the whistle. Yeah, yeah. And so then you I'm, get I'm caught alone. up in that moment and like breaking that was... <laughs> was really hard now i thought i did a decent job i don't think i was terrible at it but uh i really learned it grew me as a coach in that aspect like how do i how do i take the tactics and techniques and apply that through the rules to be more efficient sure i want to i want to ask you a quick question yeah what would you say to the coach from your perspective what would you say to the coach who says well i referee every day in practice you don't i mean it's not the same. You're, 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 yes, you are, you're correct. You are officiating in practice. You're right. But you're also not. There's no, what, 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 what accountability is there in that process? What evaluation is there in that process? What, what, what fans are, are chewing you out because you made the wrong, it's not really officiating. And, and you're also only officiating to, how you interpret the rules in that moment as opposed to having like a referee evaluator there saying, hey, let's let's break these things down. Yeah. So yeah. To, some con- to some extent, yeah, you are officiating every day in practice. I do it every day in practice. I will be the official for the scrimmage. Right. But it's not the same. The environment's different. The context right. is different. It's just you. You don't have a partner on the other side. Yeah. As, as an official, like there's a lot of mechanics that you're going through now. Let's just hypothetically say that as as the coach, if I've got another coach on the other side and we are both been trained as officials and we go through those things, maybe, maybe it's a little bit different, but I, I don't think it's the same. I think it's close and I think it's as close as you can get without actually being an official during a game. Sure. But I don't I don't think it's the same. Yeah. You know, I and then I I wanna jump back onto the main trail here, but 
No, we can take uh, rabbit trails. I was listening to uh, a podcast that uh, Damon Newman is is doing for American Water Polo, yeah. and it's like you know, it's, I can't remember what's called Inside the Whistle, whatever it was. And he was talking to uh, a referee, and this referee who is really good. The question was, "What's the hardest part of the game?" And this referee who is really good said, "I think managing decorum is probably the hardest part." of the game mm. because you can sit here and watch. I mean, Greg and I are starting, you know, to watch dudes and dudes in white pants. It's on YouTube. Um, and we're just going to watch games and we're going to talk about, you know, left and right and push offs and all the, all the stuff mm-hmm. and your mechanics and all the, you know, we can look at transitions and center play, but we get to sit here in the TAF studios where it's safe and just think about it. Yeah. We don't have the coach who refs every day in practice screaming at us that that ordinary that you whistled should be an exclusion. Mm -hmm. And then you have to decide in that moment, Yeah, wait a minute, am I going to pull the ball out, disadvantage his team now, who has an advantage, but he's yelling at me, and now I have to manage that decorum, and now he thinks, well, I can yell at you to uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, X. And now he's going to go X plus 0.5 next time, X plus 1, X plus 1.5, until you give him a card. And then he's going to go, you should have given me a card back at X. And you're going, but I was trying to... Like I think that's a one plus two plus one scenario, right? But even if it was, it would be one plus two plus one plus one, not one plus one plus two plus one. <sighs> You're right, math. <laughs> <laughs> Another inside joke there. Yeah. So yeah. So that's 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 just kind of my my two cents on. Well, I, I would challenges I would, of it, and I would agree with that too. Like as an official in a practice, so I'm coaching as a coach official. What do we have a two hour practice? Right. Okay. So maybe like the last let's go like the last hour practice, maybe the last half hour you're scrimmaging. So you've had an hour of being on and then an hour, maybe maybe an hour and a half of being on and then 30 minutes to an hour of officiating. Well, what about the official at a tournament that now that's their seventh game of the day? Yeah. You've been officiating for seven hours yeah. being on for that. Yeah. It's a totally different environment too there. I mean, like there, there's layers to it. It's kind of like tiramisu where... <laughs> You've got these different layers to officiating, and depending on where you are, it could either be like kind of soft and mushy, or it could be like, man, that's a. I just hit the. I hit rock bottom on this. I need to go for a new bite. I don't know if that analogy plays, but it does. It, it plays with me. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, back onto the main trailer. Yeah. You were speaking about how that that did change your perspective. Yeah. On. Yeah, and I I think it's the. The total package, right? Uh, our friend Mike Jones. I mean, you know, I I can't think of a what I, I can, but actually I can't. I can't think of a more well-rounded water polo person mm. in our area because he plays as a masters athlete. Yeah, he organizes all the stuff. He coaches the team, kind of, sort of. He is a former referee probably getting back onto the referee team pretty soon as he finishes NBA. Yay, celebration for Mike. Hey, But it's like, I think when you get all of those perspectives, the one thing he doesn't have yet is a parent with an athlete in the water. Yeah. So player safety, maybe. I mean, he's coaching and he cares about his friends or whatever, but, yeah. you know, there, there's the one thing that, that I don't have. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't have that yet. I don't. Yeah. I, I won't have that. Well, so, I think I you know, perspective matters. Like, and, sure. and being able to, if, if I only have the perspective of of a coach 
or I'm just as a player coming in. Like if you have, if you ask any of the athletes in a practice, go officiate, they're going to be lost because they don't have a perspective of being an official. Sure. They have the perspective of being an athlete. Sure. Hey, athlete, design the practice. Well, they don't have the perspective mm. of being a coach. Sure. And you don't get that overnight. It's a process. It's a season, seasons, several sure. seasons of that experience. And if you don't get shaped in those areas, it's really hard to have an understanding of what they're talking about. So you've had a chance to coach, you've had a chance to officiate, and those conversations are a lot easier for you to navigate because you've been on both sides. Now, you can disagree on tactics or agree on whatever, but understanding why that is being called the way it is from a coach's perspective and an official's perspective, I mean, I don't necessarily know that you should have like, oh, well, the coach says it should be this and the official says it should be that. I find that there should be a lot of common ground in there. Like, well, if the you guys should both be agreeing that that's a penalty shot. It sure. shouldn't be like, he, coach thinks that's a penalty, referee thinks that's a no call, and the fan thinks that you're an idiot. Like, right. There should be a lot of commonality with sure. that. There should be, I, I think. Sure. That, that That's probably another conversation as to a frustration with our sport is that there's so much interpretation, and, and depending on who's doing what, you get different results. Yeah, I think it is, you know, from a from a referee's perspective, you, you said something um, – probably about 10 minutes ago maybe, and you, you mentioned like if, if we all kind of understand where we're coming from, which is why I want to talk to more coaches, mm. um, it maybe even just in this format where we're not on the pool deck because that's oftentimes the wrong place yeah. to have it because I am in white and you are in your school colors and we have these roles that we've just kind of... And you're in the moment. Engaged in, delved into the, just the, whatever the, the fancy phrase would be. It's hard to release from that as opposed to tuesday night over beers you and i sat at starbucks i remember it was a great day uh that's a, the, that's, the ladies yeah. went to get their nails done and we we sat at starbucks and i kid you not like for four hours four hours we had a four hour talk we just talked about everything 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 right? some mostly about water polo but you get into life and stuff like that but anyways um i think that Understanding where the coach is is coming from when I, when I talked to Shane mm-hmm. last week, two weeks ago, or whatever from uh, Gannon, you know Shane Unger, good friend of yours, good good friend, love the dude, Shane, good dude, scary. I think uh, <laughs> I I think Shane could take Gary. I think he could come on if if he somebody is. if there's somebody that that Shane can't take, I'd be yeah. I'd be very curious to yeah. see what they look he like. Is. Shane's he a dude, man. He is, but um, I asked him. I said, well, what 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 helps you as a coach with referees? And he said, if if I just ask the question, if you could just explain the call, I might not be disagreeing with you. I might disagree with you, but I need to know yeah. so I can go tell my team. And that, I want to say that, that that changed my view on things, but if nothing else, it, it accelerated me yeah. closer to the understanding of the coach's role. I think the hard part on that is that it's incumbent upon the referees to yeah. understand the coach's role and to quote unquote help them be better coaches by being consistent by doing this out whatever yeah i wonder sometimes what are the what are the conversations at those higher levels when you used to be the dumbest person in the room you're not anymore certainly i can i can vouch for that even at those ntsc selections um but do you guys talk about the coach referee relationship and how do we help the referees whistle hmm a better game what does screaming at a referee do about that should have been an exclusion and say you know how do you effectively work yeah, yeah, yeah for the call for the referee without 
sacrificing the referee's ability. I don't know. What, what, do well, you, so do you guys I, have those? So I, well, not necessarily, but I, I think not as a group, not like as an organized group. Maybe maybe there's some of those conversations that are starting to happen more regularly. Mm-hmm. I think that's that concept is starting to apply more. We're Well, we're, we're starting to have, we coaches across the nation, I think are starting to have more conversations about that. Okay. I think the the COVID allowed us to have sure. a lot of Zooms. Yes. And you can watch and, anal- and analyze, and it gave us an opportunity, us coaches, officials, to to feel like we were doing something again. Yeah. In a season where <laughs> there really wasn't, right? So I think that there, those conversations have been happening more regularly. Like uh, if you go on Twitter, there's the uh, the coaches thing for USA Water Polo. They got their coaches' education, sure. where they'll post a, a, a video. By the way, that is excellent stuff. Like the uh, the those conversations that are that are happening because here's a call, discuss it, and mm-hmm. you've got officials chiming in, you have got coaches chiming in, and and I haven't seen it. You're an idiot. You're wrong. I haven't seen any, any yellow cards or red cards come from that. It's been discussion. So I think if you, if you boil that down to if we talked a little bit about the leadership stuff so far, so. Uh, I've got a few different like philosophies on on the on the leadership aspect, and maybe we, maybe we can, you want to dive into that. But uh, one of them is uh, having this servant leader mindship. Sorry, sorry, having this servant leadership mindset, and a servant leadership is like I am not here for me. I'm I'm here for others, and I, I'm going to put who I am as tertiary, not even like secondary. Sure, tertiary. And, yeah, I know, right? That's a it's big time. Oh, I got big time words. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you put you put yourself in in this more of a tertiary role. That's so good. It's I know, right? Word. I'm sorry, I can't. I'm, I'm... <laughs> that seems like a good place to stop today. If you can't end on a word like tertiary, you just ain't doing it right. I'm going to give this to everyone for free, not just our TAF Insider subscribers. I went on in my admiration for finding the precise word to describe your intended thoughts for like another minute, but there will be more on that next episode. We did get into a lot with Paul today. Like most people, he's a complex guy and is an ever-evolving person. His past, like most people's, shapes who he is today. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to work on extending more grace to the folks with whom I come into contact, because everyone has a story And everyone needs to share their stories their own way. So, until next time, y'all, be good to the refs. Shout out to our friend and fellow referee, Adam Carroll, for That's a Foul theme music. If you like what you heard today, tell a friend where to find us and follow us on your podcast service. As always... You can find show notes and other topics covered on today's show on our website, tafpodcast.com.